Swivel. Today you can't open LinkedIn without being polled on the topic of working from home. Up there with LOL, WFH is becoming one of the most recognised acronyms and sayings over the last two years, with COVID-19 fundamentally changing our relationship with the office and with very few of us wanting to return to the pre-pandemic status quo. It's an experience we thought was temporary, only intended to last the length of our lockdowns. However, as the months went on, many have realised that they prefer this approach and want to continue regardless of being able to go back into the office setting. Some would like a hybrid approach, getting to choose when they do either. Others never want to work from home again, relying on the face-to-face and immediate interaction from their peers or simply missing the social aspect of working in a team. Whatever your preference, the lockdown experience has made it clear that when it comes to work, there's no one-size-fits-all model. From Swivel Media, I'm Amanda Reedy, and this is Resolve, stories from a stop-start nation. For this episode, Resolve producer Phoebe Zakowski-Wallace looks at the future of where we work from a business perspective while exploring the factors that are pushing us away from the office and what might pull us back in. The work from home phenomenon triggered by the pandemic has undoubtedly upended our relationships with our jobs. At the start, we appreciated the novelty and the benefits, such as less time and money spent commuting, being able to sleep in that extra hour, having more control over our time, allowing us to integrate other at-home tasks into our days, attributing to what some people describe as a healthier work-life balance. But as we spent more time working remotely, We discovered the downside, dealing with things like isolation, the absence of those serendipitous interactions and knowledge sharing, decreased the effectiveness of collaborative processes, and that time spent commuting that so many were thrilled to cut back on, others had used that cue to switch off from work. For some businesses, the idea of remote working was totally unfamiliar. For others, working from home wasn't exactly a new concept. The transition was no shock to the system for those at deputy, a market-leading rostering and timesheets app for small and enterprise businesses. With the Sydney headquarters and over 300 staff across multiple office locations, Deputy had a large number of people to quickly shift to working from home. We spoke with Sophie Pank, Deputy's Director of Marketing based in Sydney, about what this transition was like for herself and her team. Yeah, so just pre-COVID, a lot of people just naturally would come to the office to have their meetings, to have those face-to-face conversations because whilst we were a flexible working business, it wasn't a working from home first policy. It was very much you were in the office, if you couldn't be there or if you had, you know, a delivery coming that day, you could work from home, but it wasn't the norm. We had multiple offices around the world. So we had a very small team in Melbourne. We had a huge team of engineers go-to-market team, sales, marketing, core ops sitting in Sydney. Sydney's our HQ. We had a team in Atlanta. We had a team in San Francisco. So that was a mix of sales and marketing. And then we had a team in London as well, supporting our European growth. With offices across the globe, 
The staff at Deputy were comfortable and familiar with using technology that allowed them to tune in or to dial into meetings at all hours of the day. But when it came to their regular Australian hours, it was very much an in-person approach in order to not miss out on those water cooler opportunities. One of the reasons that I came to Deputy was I was previously working for another tech business who were headquartered out of New Zealand. And one of the draw cards for me coming to Deputy was HQ was in Sydney. And I was, when I started at Deputy, I was the global director of product marketing. And our product team, our chief product officer at the time, and our engineering team were all based out of Sydney. And I thought, this is such a great opportunity for me to be working side by side with these guys on a day-to-day basis and that was like one of the core reasons that I moved over to deputy so that I didn't have to do so much video time. Well the irony of that is I started in June 2019 and by the time January 2020 rolled around the world was changing pretty rapidly. You know as soon as that transition happened from moving from a mixed way of working, having the opportunity to either be in the office face-to-face or online and moving just to being online, the whole world was going um, crazy trying to work out, like, what's the best mechanism for this? And the week that we went into lockdown, we had multiple events, in-person events that were meant to take place and those types of things can't happen. And those opportunities where you get to be in front of your customers or in, in front of prospective customers is so instrumental to your own success and understanding how your strategy should evolve, what the real pain points of the market are. And all of a sudden, people are, are withdrawing from those face-to-face interactions and you lose a real, real sense of connection um, with your customers, with the market and, and what you think your strategy should be as well. Working from home for those that were able to do so started off as a suggestion and it became a part of the restrictions that were rolled out during the lockdowns. Here's Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews addressing the issue in a press conference before the introduction of Victoria's long lockdown in 2020. The original policy was very much about working from home if you can work from home. So where that has not been possible, obviously people have been working uh, in their normal place of work. Uh, we don't, we're not changing that. We're not requiring any more people to work from home than has been the case over these last eight to ten weeks. We're simply asking for the maintenance, for the continuation of those work from home arrangements. It's critically important to avoiding a second wave. It's critically important to us rem- retaining control of this virus. Uh, I know it will cause inconvenience. I know many businesses are very keen to get back to something like normal. The key point here is we can't switch back to normal. We've got to find a COVID normal. And at least for June, that COVID normal includes anyone who has been working from home continuing to work from home. To understand just how much the work from home trend has changed the way we approach work, it helps to know what percentage of the Australian population were doing it before it became mainstream. For this comparison, I spoke to Simon Kustemacher, one of Australia's leading demographers. Based in Melbourne, he is the co-founder and director of the Demographics Group, who provide demographic research and insight to businesses and governments around the country. So before the pandemic, about 5% of Australians worked from home on any given day. We know this from beautiful census data, and this 5% figure hasn't changed much over the last 20 years. 
And most of those 5% were actually made up of farmers who have to work from home anyways. Even though we had quite a bit of wonderful technology out there that allowed people to work remotely if they wanted to do so. But then during the pandemic, all of a sudden, we had this big forced experiment that really made sure that half of the Australian workers or half of the workers in a lockdown city at the very least worked from home. So we went from 5% to 50%, a huge increase. And that made sure that all the companies that work across the whole nation, that they established the digital infrastructure that's necessary, that they established policies that allow people to work from home. Even government departments that never uh, were comfortable with this started to hand out laptops and trust their workers to work remotely. So what this means is that we really created a new normal around work, where all of a sudden this is an option that about half of the workforce experienced during the pandemic. That then leads to the million dollar question, what will happen in the true post-COVID Australia? Will we go back to the 5%? Will we remain at the 50% of people working from home? Big question. I would say we reach a new normal that is probably around the 15% mark on any given day. That is somewhat of a guess, but it is based on some sort of data comparison. But what we learned from this example for working from home is that we will not go back to 5%. We will reach a new base level and it'll be much higher than the 5% on any on any given day. For Sophie and her team at Deputy, their first impressions of working remotely were mostly positive. From my own experience, I think it was quite a long time and even speaking to people outside of Deputy, it was quite a long time before people really understood what the impact of going fully remote was on um, company culture and individuals' well-being. It was, you know, at first it was exceptionally novel for people to be working from home full-time. And I, I remember even myself, I was like, well, this is great because my kids were still in daycare. I could drop them off at 7 a.m. I could be online by 7.30. I didn't have to do that travel time. This is fantastic. I can work all the way up to quarter to six, whereas in the past I'd have to be out of the office at five o'clock on the dot to beat the traffic. And I could give more back to my business and I was more effective and um, more everything than ever before, you know. And although they found through a company survey that most were happy to work remotely, there were departments who relied on that immediate interaction from others to help them do their job to the best of their ability and get through their day. First and foremost, I think we were fortuitous that we did have that technology-led approach to having meetings. But a lot of teams, sales teams, customer support teams, yes, the majority of people are probably extroverts within those teams and they do really well by being together and I think one of the teams, just from feedback, that really struggled with moving from being in-person to being completely remote was our customer success team that was based in Sydney at the time. You can imagine that these people are dealing with a lot of customer queries. They're doing customer support for 12 hours a day. And a lot of the time, the people that are phoning in, they start out their conversation um, quite irate because something's not working for them within the product. We have a fantastic customer support team and we know that 97% of the people that come through walk away very happy um, with the experience. But when you're doing that 
in a team, it's a lot easier to hang up that call and turn around and say, is anyone else having the same troubles today? Like I'm hearing a lot about this particular issue within the product and everyone can be like, yeah, I'm hearing this and they've got the camaraderie of each other. How are you dealing with that support ticket? Are we escalating those types of things? You move away from being face to face and all of a sudden you're sitting in isolation in your own room at home and you're feeling like you're just dealing with other people's technical issues all day and that can be quite an isolating feeling so it's not that the technology wasn't there to support those people but the face-to-face camaraderie isn't there and just being able to talk to and um, really support each other with those behind the scenes conversations can be quite challenging. According to Simon some of the perceptions of the effectiveness of remote work depend on the type of work a particular team does And this may mean that companies will need to allow future remote work policies to be set by section or business function. And so what we see when businesses say different functions uh, or different departments had a really different response to working from home, we then need to remember that it's absolutely silly to have company-wide policies that dictate, you know, one way or the other. You need to be very careful what is useful for your team and further down you go into the into the departmentalization of the organization you know okay so in this team people are actually really happy to work remotely and we can do all the collaborative work in a day per week that works well for this team and you want to keep the balance right because you can't make it ideal for everyone just as the office environment wasn't ideal for for everyone as we see right now It comes as no surprise that for the people who heavily relied on the in-person interactions at work, in addition to not being able to leave their homes to make up for those lost connections elsewhere, that feeling of isolation skyrocketed. Another common discussion about the remote work has been the question of whether or not people working from home can be as productive as they are in the office, or perhaps even more productive. So in terms of productivity and whether or not we saw um, that it increased or decreased during the period that people were forced to work from home, our company survey showed that people felt more productive working from home. There was a lot of research done within the business to understand what type of working model we should return to when we did go back to the new normal. And people definitely were feeling more productive. Now, this survey, um, the results that I'm referring to are probably from about six months ago. And I think as we're looking towards the end of this year, the conversation that's happening now is that people are feeling less productive. They're more exhausted than ever before. And although it's tricky to generally measure the trajectory of productivity over the Australian population, what the data does show is that overall people have been working longer hours, which has been one of the main causes to people experiencing yet another universal feeling, the feeling of being burnt out. And then after whatever it was, six months, all of a sudden you look back and you think, I'm burnt out. This is crazy. Like I've never never known that phrase burnout to be thrown around so much and when you look into the definition of what burnout is it's really about people working at such a pace without understanding the strategy or how they're going to get there and I think that is so reflective of 
what happened during the pandemic it's not just working from home and not having that human connection with your peers but it's also the fact that the market was changing so quickly and productivity absolutely does start to wear off um, when people aren't taking holidays they're not escaping their homes they're not um they're not socializing with people if they're extroverts even introverts we're saying that they really miss that human touch and that all comes back to productivity Questions about productivity have been at the forefront of discussions about where and how we work in the future. But as Simon points out, when it comes to how productive our workers and teams are, we don't have a consistent unit of measurement, and that makes this discussion a challenging one. So I'm always laughing about the argument uh, about whether workers are more productive or less productive uh, at home, because how would you possibly measure that? It's it's an incredibly difficult thing to measure this outcome, especially if you're in a creative job. The official way of measuring productivity is to look at GDP per hours worked over the whole country. So we can then see, well, how productive is the economy? How productive are workers? And we do see that over time, the trend goes to we are more productive. We produce more GDP for every hour that we work. And we would then look at measures ideally over a long period of time, hours worked, working from home. You cannot separate this. But you would look at this as a long-time study and say, did the productivity drop when we went from 5% working at home to 50% or maybe on average something like 25% during COVID? Very hard to say. And you could potentially measure productivity for a specific industry alone. You know, you'd, you'd want to single out professional services. And then you could make an argument about this. For team leaders and managers across many industries, there has been extra pressure to not only work from home, but to manage a team of people also working from home. Was working remotely then going to allow workers to easily slack off, given they now had access to plenty of distractions at home? How could managers manage if they weren't able to keep a constant eye on you? How difficult or easy this has been for managers may come down to leadership style. I would say the people, the managers that struggle a lot at the moment are micromanagers. How do you micromanage? How do you look at every single keystroke of your employees when you can't hover over their shoulder constantly? That is difficult. As a manager, I was never concerned that my team were going to slack off. The relationships in our team are all built on trust and I knew that my team members have as much skin in the game about our results and their career progression as I do. So there was always that sense of trust. And again, we were comfortable with working remotely. I knew that if, you know, you give people the opportunity to work from home, and this was pre-COVID, that they weren't doing it so that they could have a quiet day. They were doing it because they wanted to go deep into a strategy they were working on or delivering a project that they were working on and they need that quiet time. So that trust was always there. So the real difference between managing a team when we were in a hybrid environment where we had the opportunity to come into the office and that's pre-COVID to managing a team where the majority of your time you're forced to be at home 
I'm not going to lie, it's really, really tricky and it is exhausting. It's exhausting from a manager's perspective because I'm constantly in meetings checking in on my team. I'm an extrovert. I miss that face-to-face time with my team. And I know that when um, we're out of lockdowns and we are able to get together, the bonds that we form just by going and having lunch together or having a coffee together helps build that trust and it helps build that sense of camaraderie within the team that we want to support each other. And now that remote work is clearly here to stay, well and truly past COVID, it raises the question with businesses of how to best manage the hybrid style going forward. So there is a conflict that you have within the workers as well. So that then leads to the need for very careful management of the workforce in the office. You cannot enforce that you work from uh, from the office five days a week. You will you will really alienate uh, a big chunk of your workforce. And by twenty by twenty thirty, about half of the workforce will be millennial. So you really don't want to mess with half of your workforce. So you can't do that. So you need to make bring a really strong case forward to your workers. Why it, is it worth to go to the office? You need to make that argument. I don't want to see anyone commuting to the office just in order to sit in front of a laptop with noise-canceling headphones writing an email. Nobody wins here. So you want to make sure that you actually only go to the office when it makes sense. So if we can get in front of a whiteboard and we held a strategy day yesterday um, with for 2022 planning and the amount of work that we knocked out in that day to do that over a video conference would have taken probably three weeks just because of the amount of content that you need to get through, the amount of energy you need to bring to those conversations, the amount of nuance that comes through from being in person, being able to have challenging conversations in person, challenge each other respectfully. It's just unbelievable the difference that it makes. So I found that, you know, as a, as a manager, it is a lot more difficult to manage people purely online. It's always been interesting to me why some people thrive and others struggle with remote working, even when in similar roles. Is it simply a matter of whether you're an introvert or an extrovert? Does it fall onto personality types? When I asked Simon if there was another factor I was missing, he described something I'd never thought of before. So when we talk about the pros and cons of the work and home phenomenon, the first thing that I always uh, want to remind people of is that there are several uh, different types of people. So we talk about integrators and separators. That's a spectrum that you fall onto. Integrators are people like me, people that are extremely happy to work from home, do 20 minutes of work, then the kids interrupt, then you play with the kids, then you go back to work, you work extremely long at odd hours, uh, you switch back between work and private life uh, nonstop. Works for me, I actually enjoy it, that's wonderful. This whole thing, you know, works in my favor, this whole working from home phenomena. My wife, on the other hand, is a very strict separator, go to the office nine to five, doesn't play on social media or anything during work hours. I don't understand how she does it. Then goes home. Honey, how was work? I was like, I don't want to talk about work. I've just been there. You know, as I just, you know, private life is private life. Work life is work life. And um, forcing this working from home stuff on her doesn't work well. Whereas it works extremely well for me. So you have the sheer personality difference among the population that you need to account for this. 
I know speaking uh, for myself, just not being able to close the door on work, we took it for granted the fact that when you left the office and you had to get on a bus, that was the end of your work day. And you could really use that time or that travel period home to reflect on the day, close it off and walk into the house as a, as a parent. And it's really difficult to put that barrier up between walking out of your home office and walking into the kitchen where the kids are already screaming and, and not be still thinking about work or not be wanting to pick up the phone. And I think um, talking about the different people who either need that separation and that's how they close off from work or people that can just integrate work into their lifestyle, there's definitely different ways. And I think it comes back to what is everyone's definition and this evolving definition of a flexible workplace? Is it that you can work from anywhere or is it that you can work at any time on any device so that it fits into your lifestyle and it's a matter of really finding that balance. So yeah, I think there's a lot that we can still be learning from all of these experiences. We definitely haven't perfected it. Another question on the minds of many business owners has been what to do with their office space in the face of these changes. Deputy is one of the many companies who made some radical changes to their real estate footprint during the pandemic. Over the past two years, we've reduced our office footprints immensely. In fact, in Sydney, where we used to have over 300 people sitting in an office and we had two floors of an office building, we now have a WeWork and people go into that. There's probably about 20 people that go into that day in, day out. There's a booking system, obviously. So the teams are coming together and those WeWork spaces um, have worked really well for us. However, in Sydney, we are looking to, to open a new office and bring people back together, but it won't be mandated that you have to come in and work in the office. And we're still building those policies out as to yeah, how people how people interact. When Sophie is talking about WeWork, she's referring to one of the many commercial real estate companies that provide flexible shared working spaces, also known as co-working offices. Spaces like this are becoming more popular as they've allowed businesses to downsize their now not-as-occupied offices, yet still provide a collaborative space that many itch to get back to. I spoke to the Lord Mayor of Melbourne, the incredible Sally Cap about what this means for our CBD's commercial real estate. We've had an unprecedented level of inquiries from small to medium-sized businesses that had previously not been able to get space in the city. So pre-COVID, we're at our lowest vacancy rate ever in history in the city at around 2% uh, of vacancies, which meant basically we're full. Um, the, the fact that there's demand coming from those businesses that previously hadn't been able to get space is exciting as we understand that bigger businesses will start to adjust. We want to really work together and move as quickly as we can towards that new rhythm because whatever spaces are created by people working from home, that's a space that somebody else can come into. Now, even as Victoria currently sits at 92% double vaxxed, there is understandably still a level of hesitancy about returning to the office or our CBDs in general. So what does the inevitable increase of people working from home mean for our CBDs? Having our city workers back in city workplaces is absolutely critical. Pre-pandemic, 
Just about half of our daily city population is city workers. And for our small business owners, they are the regular crew that really underpin their financial viability. So it is critical that we get to our new rhythm in the city as quickly as possible. To work towards this new rhythm as quickly as possible, and with the lingering hesitancy to return to our CBDs, people will need encouragement and incentives. So what measures will our local and state governments take to encourage people to come back into the city? Well, there are lots of initiatives underway between ourselves as a local government and the state government. Hopefully you've noticed an enormous program of events and offers and attractions to bring people back. Because the first thing we need to do is really, one, remind them of all of the fantastic diversity of passions and pursuits here in the city. Secondly, to build up COVID confidence because there's still a lot of what I call COVID caution following the pandemic and we need to give ourselves time to really adjust to that. We do know uh, from our survey work that when people come into the city for an event or to dine or to shop, particularly if they take public transport to come in, that they start to build up a sense of confidence that you can come into higher density environments. A specific area both the City of Melbourne and the State Government are targeting is public transport. We know there's still hesitancy around public transport, but it's never been cleaner and there are more frequent services than ever before. Pre-COVID, 76% of workers took public transport to get into the city. So that's hundreds and thousands of people coming in by public transport. It is still identified as a major deterrent to people returning to the city is that caution about getting back onto public transport. So there are two things that the Victorian government is doing. They have a cleaning program which has been running throughout the whole pandemic period and continues to make sure that people can have confidence about the environment they're coming onto. And of course, it's still compulsory to wear masks on public transport. And that may be something that never changes. I mean, even when they take the compulsory bit away. The second thing that's happening is the increase in frequency. When you have a turn up and go system, which is a lot of trams, particularly in inner Melbourne, you, you feel you can turn up and one will come fairly soon, more people use those systems when you have a sense of turn up and go. So by increasing the frequency, and I think it's 750 extra services a week that the state government has introduced, uh, then you're more likely to take public transport. And we think that's a terrific thing right across the train network and the tram network as well as the bus network is to just have a sense. You don't even have to check the schedule. You can just turn up and go. When discussing this topic, we can't ignore a fact that for many Australians, working from home during the lockdowns has not been an option. Our service industries, health workers, police officers and essential retail staff kept fronting up in person, and for many others, there wasn't work at all. But while the topic of working from home may not apply to everyone, there's one thing we can say for sure. Whatever happens from here with the places we work will impact our cities, our towns, our infrastructure. And that will impact us all. So what is this new rhythm? And what does the future of remote working look like? 
And where do our central business districts fit in it all, being on the tail end of what started it all? It may be too early to say. And although this new WFH phenomenon has brought us new experiences and even odd new skills, like becoming so familiar with your colleagues' screen background that you notice when they move their pot plant, perhaps we can use this pandemic as a reset as a nudge towards the quest. So many of us were on to move away from the rigid nine to five, five days a week approach and welcome this emerging reality of more flexible working. Resolve is a production of Swivel Media. It's produced by me, Amanda Reedy, Phoebe Zukowski-Wallace, and our executive producer is Scotty Allen. This episode was mixed by Rob Clark with original music by Ash Deneef. Our show artwork is by Mark Osmundi and research and fact-checking is by Lauren Fitzgerald. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and leave a positive rating and review to help others find our show. Visit swivelmedia.com, that's swivel with an O, for details on all of our shows and find us on social media for updates on new releases.